Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. And we need to ask ourselves, what can society do? Even as we're talking about parents, because the reality that one family in isolation is going to be hard put to combat a $16.8 billion industry. We need to think about what corporations can do, what the government can do, what schools can do. And in the context of that, there are things that parents can do. One of them is to look at their own values and their own issues around consumption. everyone, I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. Uh, John St. Augustine, as always, pleasure having you here, Lisa. We're here with Susan Lynn, psychologist at Harvard Medical School and uh, author of Consuming Kids, Protecting Our Kids from the Onslaught of Marketing and Advertising. Now, Susan's a psychologist by professional training, but I love this about you. Whenever you have this kind of a bio, you know, when it's uh, accountant, line trainer, you know, that kind of combo <laughs> deal, it gets your attention. So Susan is described as a psychologist, okay, award-winning producer, understandable writer, yeah, puppeteer. Mm. How does that work? Well, um, actually, for my own truth in advertising, I'm a ventriloquist. Oh, you are? Really? Yes. Oh. Why don't yes. you say something? So you can pretend you're Remit. Make his mouth I'm move so and happy you say to be here today. Oh, that's really good. I wish good. I was here in person, but I can't be because I'm a puppet. That's how, amazing. How do you do that? We need that a little Charlie amazing. McCarthy doll. <laughs> that is amazing. We also need two to... guest releases now because somebody <laughs> else is right. speaking. I'm not signing anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. How do you learn that? I used. To, I started as a child. I started when I was six years old. Somebody but gave me a puppet. How do you make the noise without moving your mouth? Um, that's just practice. 
Put your teeth together. Mm-hmm. Smile hard. <laughs> Some letters are harder to say. That was pretty good. <laughs> Peter I, Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. Oh well, my you do that with on your lips. That was the P's and B's are hard. Nobody likes a show off for Chuck Lewis. <laughs> really? You know, I have enough trouble articulating words as it is. Without... I'm going to lay as soon as I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, in addition to your, uh, this is wonderful, a ventriloquist. Like, maybe they didn't put it here because they couldn't spell it, mm. uh, is an associate dean of the Media Center at the Judge Baker Children's Center at Harvard Med School and a co-founder for Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood. Now, I, I got to say, Susan, that uh, when I was a child, I wasn't allowed to watch television. And the reason for that had nothing to do with commercials. It was that my parents, you know, old school folks, they had immigrated uh, from another country, Turkey, uh, believed that I had too much to do to watch television. And they had grown up without a TV. In fact, when I was born, there was no television in Turkey, even then. I remember watching the very first shows in Turkey around 1968 or 69, and it was Casper the Ghost. Those are the first television shows I ever remember. Mm. And they only had television for like two hours a day, you like it from three to five. They made it for the moms. You had, and then you had the news and you were done. <laughs> and uh, today, of course, uh, it has changed quite dramatically. And I watch my kids, and I think, uh, I mean, they all are guilty of this, but the youngest one, Oliver, who has the least supernatural restriction on his comments will watch a commercial literally turn to, to me as it finishes and say, I want that. So there's no question a huge power in advertising. Kids translate information to action much more rapidly than adults do. And you've made uh, part of your career understanding and describing this phenomenon. And your book, Consuming Kids, Protecting Your Kids from the Onslaught of Marketing and Advertising, uh, is a, a, a treatise on this. What, what got you interested in the topic? I was raising a child at home in the 90s, which is when um, advertising and marketing was just going, escalating exponentially. Um, I was working with children, and also I was in a position at the media center to start tracking the media. The The mission of the media center is to work with media to promote the health and well-being of children and to mitigate its negative effects. And you couldn't think about media without looking at the marketing. So it was affecting um, the children I loved the best and cared about the most. And also I was in a position to see it at work. And the thing that really, you know, sort of changed me from just a concerned professional to an activist was Teletubbies. Mm. When, um, when, when public television imported Teletubbies from Britain in um, 1998 and they marketed it as educational for babies... It was the first time ever that a television program had been promoted as educational for babies, and they had absolutely no evidence that it was. And and because, you know, parents trust public television, um, they were sort of turning to the program in droves. And it, what it was doing is hooking babies on television, and which is where advertisers and marketers reach children. And there's no evidence that that any kind of screen media is beneficial for babies. There's mounting evidence that it may be harmful, and yet, you know, we are hooking babies on screens from birth. It was where the Teletubbies, and I remember, you know, seeing them, and they're very frustrating for adults. There are other shows that weren't so frustrating for adults. I, I could watch Barney, frankly. I could, I could deal with Barney. Barney wasn't marketed to babies. And I, I have no, I think, I have no problem with the content of Teletubbies. And, in fact, it, I, my work isn't about the content of the programming. It's the marketing. You know, I, I, and what we have to do when we think about programming for kids now, we just can't think about whether what they see on the screen while the program is on is beneficial for them. We have to look at the marketing plan and all the different products 
that are being marketed with these programs. So, you know, we can say, well, this program does a good job of promoting reading to children, but supposing it also does a good job of promoting junk food or promoting toys that inhibit creative play rather than promoting it when creative play is the foundation of learning. Uh, we're here talking to Susan Lynn, author of Consuming Kids. So now, how do you get your arms around this topic? I, I've been the, a member of several uh, panels at the national level that, that have looked at advertising, in particular, to kids. I mean, it is tough, I find, anyway, to understand what role legislation should play when we deal with advertising and kids. It's tough, even, I think, for the people paying for the ads to figure out where to draw the line. I mean, if you're, if you're an ice cream company and you want to advertise ice cream, you know, the, inherently the product is not in your best interest for health, but if you're going to eat some ice cream, you want to have them eat your ice cream. Drawing a line in the sand so they get enough advertising to want your ice cream versus someone else's versus pushing you to want ice cream when you wouldn't have wanted it is a very difficult place to play. I think that we need to draw the line at children. I, I think that, and I know that this is controversial, um, and when I first started, you know, getting interested in this and concerned about it. People were saying, oh, you know, it's impossible. It's never going to change. But people have said that about a lot of socially concerning issues that really have have changed over the years. I mean, slavery, for instance, in, you know, in the late 1700s, these Quakers got together and said, we've got to end slavery. And then lo and behold, 60, 80 years later, they did end it. And, and marketing to children in in my the almost 10 years I've been working on this issue, and the reason that I wrote Consuming Kids is because I really see it as a major threat to public health. Mm. And one way to get our arms around it is is to think of advertising and marketing as an industry in and of itself, and then look at it as a link between a lot of problems that children are facing today. So marketing is a factor in childhood obesity. It's It's not the sole cause. I mean, it's not the sole cause of any of these problems, but it's a factor. Childhood obesity, eating disorders, precocious irresponsible sexuality, youth violence, underage drinking, underage tobacco use, um, family stress, the acquisition of materialistic values, and the erosion of children's creative play, which doesn't sound like much until, as I said before, you realize that it's a foundation of learning and critical thinking, creativity. How does it undermine creative play? The, the, in, in several ways. Um, and one of them is that the toys that are marketed the most to kids um, have two things in common. One of them is that, that they're likely to be linked to media programs. Mm. So if you have a toy, it's, um, it already comes with a set script and, 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 and a set way of being in the world. And for instance, um, Elmo is always Elmo. SpongeBob SquarePants is always SpongeBob SquarePants. When I did, and even that's true, even with adults, I've done workshops teaching adults how to use puppets. Mm -hmm. And I find if I give them generic puppets, they come up with all these creative characters. But if I give them, you know, if I happen to have an Elmo puppet or a Big Bird puppet, that character is always the character that they see on television. Right. So it inhibits creative play that way. Um, and another way that it inhibits creative play is that most of the toys that are marketed to kids today have electronic chips in them. And, and so the toys end up actually having more fun with the ch than the children do. The toys do more. Mm -hmm. and, and people who work with children who know about children know that the best toys are toys where it's 90% child and 10% toy. Yeah, and, it's, it's interesting. It's, I never thought about 
that element of it, but that's true that a lot of them come mechanized. They, they have program paths and what the child has to watch the toy do the acts. Right. Over and over and over again. And, and the thing about this kind of a toy is that it's really good for the companies who make them because um, ultimately they're boring. You know, they look like so much fun and they look like fun because it, what, what it looks like when you see these ads on television is that the toys are coming to life. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what children want? You know, right. They want their toys to come to life. But then when they get the toy, what they see is that they push a button and the toy does something. And then they push it again and the toy does something again. And, and how much fun is that after a while? Mm-hmm. And what happens, I mean, the messages that kids get from marketing, it's not just products that are marketed to them. It's also values and behavior. And the fundamental value that our kids are immersed in, in this this industry that's spending $16.8 billion annually targeting children, the message that kids get is that things will make me happy, brands will make me happy. But, you know, as you know, and my colleagues who do research on this sort of thing, what they're finding is that things don't make us happy. What makes us happy are more ephemeral things, job satisfaction, relationships. It's not the things that we own, but kids get this message. So they get a toy that they desperately want, that they've seen advertised. They get it, and they're so happy and excited, and then it doesn't make them happy. Then they want something else. Does that apply for jewelry, too, if, if, if you're... Yeah, <laughs> <wife has jewelry. laughs> So, Lisa, the jewelry will not make you happy, honey. <laughs> yeah, it's, you uh, it's, keep telling yourself that, honey. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it absolutely will make you happy. <laughs> I make an exception for jewelry. <laughs> uh, protecting your kids uh, from advertising is, uh, is a challenging area. So you actually went underground, which is the first chapter of the book. I did, I, yes, So what, I did. Are, what are some of the notes from the underground? I, I I went to an advertising and marketing conference, and um, before I went, I work with a a, um, a psychiatrist named Alvin Poussant, who's very well known among other things for his work in civil rights and on behalf of all, you know all kinds of children. And um, so I went to him and I said, "Gee, how should I behave at this conference? How should I be at this conference?" And he said, "Quiet." He said, "Just <laughs> be quiet." So I went expecting I would not say a word and discovered that I was in a workshop where I had to introduce myself. Mm. And, you know, so that was kind of interesting. I mean, I said I was a psychologist. I was interested in marketing, which is true. I didn't tell them I was writing my book. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you find? Um, I found that this is the first conference on children I ever attended where there was no mention of whether or not what they were doing was good for children. And that's really troubling to have this industry that has so much power where we're, we're making where, where the health and well-being of children isn't their primary goal. It's really to make money. When we come back, I want to talk about the nag factor, which many of us have experienced firsthand, branded babies, um, and finally, the en- endangered species. We have a lot more to talk about, but first, let's take a quick break. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. 
Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. In the studio today, Susan Lynn, psychologist, member of the faculty at uh, at the Harvard Medical School, the media center of Judge Baker Children's Center. And uh, she's written a book uh, called Consuming Kids. And she's also co-founder of Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood. And we're talking about that ba- basic issue. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, uh, actually, you know what? Let's take a, uh, we, well, I, I want to ask you about the nag factor and branding babies. But in the context of all this, what can the parents do? Because that's what the producers are all asking me here. Right. Yeah, like what's the parents, they're the stopgap, right? Well, you know, uh, that's a question. I mean, I, I think there are things that parents can do. But Turn off the television. <laughs> as we talk, about, yeah, as we talk about it, I think we need we need to put it in a larger context, and we need to ask ourselves what can society do, even as we're talking about parents, because the reality that one family in isolation is going to be hard put to combat a sixteen point eight billion dollar industry. We need to think about what corporations can do, what the government can do, what schools can do. And in the context of that, there are things that parents can do. One of them is to look at their own values and their own issues around consumption. If it's important to you to have the biggest car, the newest clothes, the latest jewelry, <laughs> except you, Lisa, of course. <laughs> no, but actually, you bring this up, and I'll, I'll make it personal. We, I, I don't think that we're a very consumptive family. I mean, I, I never—I'm I'm very a plain person. This morning— you know, I've got to do this television thing today. So uh, I asked Lisa to cut the hair in the back of my neck, which she always does. She's been doing that for 22 years. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I sit there. She takes a little clipper. She clips the hair in the back of my neck. And she was thinking about how little some of the things that we do have changed in the entire year time that we've been married. Uh, I, I'm not extravagant. I don't like going to big, big restaurants and having fancy, dancy things. I'd much rather stay home and play basketball with the kids. That being said, yeah. our um, lifestyle is anything but simple. I, I understand. I'm not... Speaking, I, I don't think that we're, uh, you know, hermits, uh, and, and certainly we don't restrict what we do. But the kids come home with brand awareness that I don't understand. When they're arguing about Prada bags, I, I, don't, I actually couldn't pick one out of a lineup. So can you, at least a kid, but, but you know, they're, they're being influenced by things beyond the parents. Yes. And so the ability, it has to be proactive. It's not just a matter of us taking things away. We have to actually go out and deal with that issue in a proactive fashion or it's not going to happen. Right. That's right. And I think you raise a really good point that even for people who care about these issues, who are concerned about them, who try to limit advertising and marketing in their homes, they, their kids are exposed to it at school, you know, um, just really just about everywhere. So it's very, it's very difficult for parents, and, and it's true some parents may have an easier time than others, and some of it also depends on your children. I mean, some kids are more social than others, and if they're more social, they may be more influenced by peer pressure. 
Um, some kids are, are more acquisitive than other kids. You know, so it, it's, it's a, a combination of factors. And I think that it's easy to lay the blame completely on parents, but it's unfair in the context of the $16.8 billion industry that's working day and night to bypass parents and, and to undermine parental authority. So give me you know, two ideas that you found in your research to be potentially helpful for listeners out there. Two things they could do today to change the influence of advertising on their kids. Within their family. Within the family. You're talking about within the family. Yeah. Short um, of pulling them out of school. Altruism is a good antidote to materialism. And so one thing that you can do is get your kids involved in the larger world and and involved in giving in some ways. And this could be, you know, if you sit down and at the end, end of the year and make charitable donations, involve your children on that. Um, one thing I used to do with my daughter when she was, from the time she was two, is every Thanksgiving we would go and buy an entire Thanksgiving dinner for another family and take it to a food bank. And and that was a good platform for talking with her about hunger and, and giving and and um, and it evolved and changed as she grew and her understanding of what we're doing changed. And, you know, the most recent thing she said to me was, Mom, don't you think it's a little hypocritical that this is the only thing that we do? <laughs> I thought that was great. That's you know, great. That's right. <laughs> All right. So the first is altruism, which is a great antidote to commercialism. Right. So you cultivate a, a culture of service within your family and, right. and, and your people around you. And the needs of, of a larger society. And, and that's, you know, antithetical to the messages of the marketplace, which are me first, you know, just care about yourself, you know, that kind of thing. What about restricting behaviors? And, and then that's the other, the other piece is that um, we, we do have to be able to say no to our kids. And, and for, um, that's harder for this generation of parents for some reason. I think than it than it was in the past. Why, why is that? I mean, I, Lisa and I were talking about this recently. I, I, it's absolutely right. It is so much more. I mean, I, I look at how the kids interact with their parents today, and it's very different from how I sound like an old fogey when I say this because I'm sure our parents were saying the same thing about us when you know, we were acting towards them. But the, the kinds of, of, of interactions that this generation of parents, us, have with our kids. Well, the way our kids talk to us versus the way we would speak to our parents, oh. still speak to our parents. So why, why, why yeah. are things causing that? I think that um, that some of it is um, some of it is the culture and sort of the way that children are portrayed in the media and the way the way and this whole thing about empowering kids without really thinking about what empowering means. And the other is I think that that to to the credit of this generation of parents is that they tend to um, to respect their children as individuals maybe more than previous generations. And that makes things more complicated. I mean, if you respect your child as an individual and you want your child to to be able to voice an opinion, you've got to be able to deal with that opinion. And that it's it's more complicated. I mean, so I think that it's it's messier to raise children, you know, with that sense of 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 feeling as though their opinions, you know, matter. You have to balance that with constantly giving in to your children's opinions, which isn't really good for them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's concerning is that what, what market research is showing is that children influence parents' spending about all sorts of things, from cars to vacations. And now what's happening is the, the marketing industry targets kids with ads for vacations where they can go on vacations. And, um, and what's central about that vacation is that their favorite TV character is going to be there. 
Right. And that's very sad to think that, you know, going swimming into a beach isn't enough of a vacation now. You've got to have a media character along. Well, I think part of this whole parenting thing is in part due to marketing. Because I've noticed when I was growing up, my mother and I would not shop at the same stores ever. We would not wear the same clothes. We wouldn't like the same things. And that was kind of understood. There has been, in terms of marketing, a blur of the generation gap. So I'm wearing these sweats that my 13-year-old daughter will wear. It expands the pool of people that can buy something if you don't limit it to a certain age group. But it's that way across the board. My daughter, oldest daughter, when she when she could drive, wanted us to buy her a Mercedes. Um, so, no, I'm, I know, I'm kidding. And you rushed out and did it. No, right? absolutely not. But everyone, a lot of the kids in the mm. school parking lot had... Um, we, were, we were applauded for saying no. No, they had they had Hummers and all kinds of high end cars. But I think that it's a it's a deliberate, um, maybe not an evil plot, but there is a deliberate deliberate effort on the part of marketers to blur the generations, so you can have anybody buying the product. You don't limit it to one group. One of the things that um, marketers talk about all the time is kids are getting older, younger. Kids are getting older, younger. And the old people are staying young longer. And now they have the other acronym, which I can never remember, which means staying younger, longer as well. I mean, and so essentially, I think what the marketing industry wants is for us all to be adolescents for as long as possible and and to give in to those adolescent needs and to buy things to establish our identities and all that. And what's really concerning about that is that they they market to six-year-olds as though they were 13-year-olds. You know, when, when they're called tweens, right? Mm-hmm. right. Tweens. I and mean, they invented a whole demographic. And now, for, for kids younger than six, the marketing industry is calling them pre-tweens. Mm. You know, trying to get, again, you know, a specific demographic. And on the one hand, they're saying these kids are, are different um, from um, older kids and younger kids. But on the other hand, what they're doing is lumping six-year-olds with, with 12-year-olds and marketing to six-year-olds as though they were teenagers. So now we have six-year-olds who are really teenage wannabes. And at the same time, we have 30-year-olds who are also teenage wannabes. That's what the marketing industry wants, and we're just all letting it happen. You know, it occurred to me uh, when you two were talking about, we're all about the same age. And, and uh, I remember, of course, we didn't I have... I look younger. Much <laughs> younger. I look younger. Much younger. I behave younger. Only on Mondays or Tuesdays. <laughs> Rest of the week, I'm good. But it occurred to me that we there was this time when our parents, we you know, they didn't know how to relate to us, and we didn't know how to relate to them. And the quickest way to make somebody like you is to buy them something. Yep. And so now you don't have to go through the, you know, going out camping with the kids and kind of thing and bonding with them. You just buy them something and immediately they like you. And of course, you do more of it because they'll like you more. We were having this conversation about a cell phone before I left to come out to New York with my son. And I, my mind still says, get a dime and make a call. But there's no phone booths left, so he can't do that. He was so concerned that he didn't have the phone that his friends had. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked because I thought, well, I, who cares? That you can make a phone call is the only reason you have this phone. So I have two or three old ones laying around. I'm like, well, we'll just re- redo those. Oh, my God, Dad. Come I mean, it, yeah. It was astounding to me. You it, use it, that. <laughs> well, yeah, if you like them so much, you use them. But it's just, it, there's, this, there's this thing that, you know, there's this, there's this gap here where, as you said, people even nowadays, I mean, older people still connect who they are with what they wear, what, what kind of watch they have, whatever it may be. And, and I don't know how we move people off that. Well, I, I think that one of the things that we need to do is take a long, hard look at advertising and marketing to children. Behaviors and values are formed in childhood. And, and we do have this commercial culture that is, in fact, toxic for children. 
So Susan, and your book, Consuming Kids, is an effort to try to uh, uncover a lot of the subtleties to marketing the children. Let's talk about food, since this is ostensibly a health show, <laughs> right, the Dr. Oz show. Uh, g- give me some concrete examples of how people can change the, the marketing culture. Is it a matter of us saying, okay, from now on, we're not going to have uh, advertisements on foods that are deemed to be unhealthy for our kids on the airwaves at certain hours? They won't be allowed on certain types of programming. Is it better done through consumer groups boycotting certain kinds of programs that allow certain advertisements on there? I mean, how does that work? Well, you know, the the um, United States regulates advertising and marketing to children less than most industrialized countries, most industrialized democracies. And one thing that we can do is take a look at other countries and see what they're doing. Um, in, in this country, we're in love with the market, and we think that the market's a solution to everything. But, you know, it's not a solution to the health and well-being of children. I mean, that's really clear. So and one thing we can do is limit or stop advertising and marketing to kids, and we can do it in a variety of ways. We could do it by stopping marketing on programs where a significant portion of the kids are under 12 or under 8. We could limit it, if you're talking about food, we could limit food that um, doesn't meet certain nutritional standards that have, have been set already by the government. There's lots of different ways that we can do it. What we need is to build the public will to do it. And, and when it comes to food marketing, I think that, in fact, that's starting to happen. How's it happening? I'm, I'm asking in part because I follow well, this closely, it, and, I, and I've been part of some of these debates. I just don't know how you actually start drawing lines in the sand in this country. It, it is... Uh, it, for many folks just have a difficult time believing that regulation is a solution. Well, you know, we have had um, administrations for several years that really believe that re- regulation is the devil, essentially. And, and you know, people have been told that. And, and one thing that's happened is in this country is that we mix corporations up with people. We think that corporations should have the same rights as people. And I think that that's a problem you know, in terms of thinking about regulation. But first of all, we already have regulation. So we're talking about, you know, maybe expanding the regulation. We do have some regulations about marketing to kids. We regulate the number of minutes on commercials on certain television programs. So we already know what programs are geared towards children. We're already regulating some things about that. We could stop advertising um, unhealthy food on those programs. Or we could stop advertising on those programs if we could find a way, which we could, to fund them. I caught a, uh, a title of one of your shoppers. It was uh, pretty intriguing. Uh, Peacekeeping Battle Stations in the Smackdown, Selling Kids on Violence. Yes, that's one of the things, you know, that we, as I said before, it's not just products. It's also values and behavior. And one of the things that's that's terribly concerning is um, are the the violent toys and and violent media that's being um, directly marketed to children, and um, and companies do this in a variety of ways. And one of the ways they do it is that they'll have a movie that is rated PG thirteen, which means that the industry itself says it's not suitable for children under the age of thirteen. And then they'll have toys that are marketed to preschool kids, mm. and so that's very confusing. I mean, it's, it, it it gets the kids, and and the toys are advertised on television programs that young children watch, and so the kids desperately want the toys, and and the message is, well, if there are toys for this movie, then the movie must be okay for kids. Right. So that's one piece, and the other are the violent video games, which um, the best-selling video game in two thousand and and. I think 2005, the best-selling video game for preteens was one where you could have sex with a prostitute and then kill her. And that was for <laughs> preteens. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, how why would they even make that? I mean, that's crazy. I, th- I think one of the things about video games, I've just been looking at some video games because we're try- we're putting together a little um, video about video games, and we- I've been looking at some of the new ones. And I, I think that we can't, if you've never been in- involved in-, in playing video games, you have no concept of what the violence is like. It's not like The Lone Ranger or Starsky and Hutch. It's not like that. It's beyond anything that you can even imagine. I mean, there's a video game coming out where um, one of the things that you can do is castrate somebody. More questions after the break. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty, beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Today we're talking with Susan Lynn, a psychologist, knows a lot about the mind, but has made it her passion to study consumer advertising, in particular to children. Her new book, Consuming Kids, Protecting Our Kids from the Onslaught of Marketing and Advertising. So we, we've talked a little bit about uh, some of the, uh, the, the frustrating elements of marketing. And uh, let me come to the to, to one that really is, is irritating to me, and that's uh, sex as a commodity on television. I, I think it, it sends so many different messages in so many different ways to kids who are going through uh, different stages of their life that it's no wonder that uh, they come up come through with a lot of ambivalence about some important mores. So uh, what did you find out when you, when you researched the role of sex? Well, one of the things is that um, that sex and this sort of precocious sexuality is being marketed to an ever younger um, group of girls, that it's not just preteens, it's really even preschoolers are, are being marketed, um, highly sexualized you know, behaviors and values. And again, all we have to do is look at the dolls that little girls are being given to play with today and the dolls that are being marketed to them. I mean, the best-selling dolls are dolls that pr- promote a, a particular um, female body type and, and also um, are the, the, the newer ones who sort of have this kind of in-your-face sort of sexuality. And one of the things about, um, about the, way, the fact that the market is so cluttered is that the way that companies get noticed is to outdo them, is to become more shocking. 
And so, you know, you start out with one kind of doll, and then, well, you have to have a doll that's a little more shocking, and the way that to make it more shocking or more noticeable is to make it more sexualized. And that just keeps increasing. And, and the messages that we give our children, we teach our children about the culture through the stories we tell them, the toys we give them to play with. And so it begins with really little girls. And then the clothing that's being marketed to really young girls. I get complaints with, from parents all the time. They can't find clothing for six and seven-year-olds that isn't really highly sexual. And, and I think it's important for, for people to remember that the sex that children learn in the marketplace, the sex that they learn from the media, it's not like the sex that they would learn in, for instance, sex education in the schools. I mean, whether you believe in sex education in the schools or, or not, you have to, you know, you have to understand that the people who want to have sex education in schools want to for the well-being of children. It's not because they're making money off of it. But the sex that kids encounter in the media and the sex that's sold to them is sex as power, sex as commodity, sex as violence. I mean, it's often not even sex in relationship. That's really troubling, it, it leads to the other big theme uh, that, that I, can, I still can't understand how we can't get our arms around, which is alcohol, tobacco, and other substances that uh, kids are uh, have always been known to be attracted to. It's one of the ways they can show their grown-ups. And uh, there are some icons from the advertising business, Joe Camel, which you're not allowed to put on ads anymore because it was just too clearly attractive to kids. But there are others that have taken its place. One of the things that, you know, was concerning in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago when there was all the brouhaha about um, about the halftime show and the, and the right. sexualization and the halftime show and, and everybody was all shocked and upset. Well, that was the same Super Bowl where there were all of these alcohol commercials that featured talking animals. And if you have talking animals in an ad, you're not targeting adults, you're targeting children animated characters they're targeting children and both the alcohol and the tobacco industry really depend on underage use i mean with alcohol i think i think i read it was 15 percent of alcohol sales go to kids who are underage drinkers i mean that's a lot of money that we're talking about and with tobacco i mean you if you don't smoke by the time you're 19 you're not going to you're likely not to be a smoker they have to target children well, Susan, it would seem to me that if, if I was running one of the big beer companies and one of my competitors ran an animation, which granted you're going to get kids with that, but a lot of adults like animations too, it makes it uh, a message that comes in a very different medium. I would use that as ammo and go after them. I'd spread all kinds of bad rumors about that competing, competing company saying they're purposely going after kids there, you know, bad mouth them in as many underhanded ways as I could because it's just business. And make it socially uh, unacceptable, and in fact, risking ostracized—you know, getting ostracized—if you're willing to take liberties with how we advertise to kids. Yeah, and then the, the question is: Is your campaign going to end up bringing you in as much money as the animated ad? Yeah, no one's going to buy beer because they feel like you're a moral beer company. Yeah, but if you if you boycott the other beer company, you're the only you're the, you're the major competitor. And most businesses, they are two big players. I just think it's interesting. Ploy, you know, we were talking with Lisa's brother about this. You know, there are all these class action lawyers who come after big companies. They drive companies that actually didn't do anything wrong out of business. And you would think that the shareholders of the companies that were wronged in the lawsuit would go after the class action lawyers. And so I think it's a pretty good business model because there's always, if there's someone being hurt, there's always someone who could benefit from them not being hurt. 
in theory. I'm just looking for innovative, out-of-the-box opportunities here. Mm-hmm. Certainly, that's what I would do. I mean, I, I, consumer I boycotts is what, you, what you're thinking would well, be a good but thing. But consumer boycotts paid for, funded, advertised by the major competitor. A smear campaign. A smear campaign. Oh, smear campaign. Oh, smear campaign. By the other. Beer company A, you know, finds some animated figure that's really popular, does well. Then beer company B comes after them, saying they're, uh, they're, they're, they're children of Satan. Arguing that, arguing that their logo was actually from a, They're a, a doing Devil's the same Covenant. Thing, they'd rather I know they just are. have a better animated commercial. I, but that's that's the, the conventional approach is make a better animated cartoon. The non-conventional and perhaps successful approach might be to ha- to hold the higher ground and then but go after. Don't let someone else do it for you. Use your money instead of running another ad on, on the Super Bowls to run a bunch of op-eds, which, by the way, bring you free media. But, Chris, then um, you would have to be absolutely pristine. Yeah, oh, yeah, your for business sure. practice is totally pristine because then, the, you know, the other company is just going to go after you for something. Well, they, they will anyway. That's that's politics, right? right. I mean, you still uh-huh. want the kids buying your beer. Maybe not. You know, maybe, maybe that, maybe that's, that's actually that's the bigger question, because if what the real goal is, is both of us advertise to kids will get more people drinking. See, that's that's a bigger fear. I mean, see, I, yeah. And I, I think that I mean, if um, if a significant percentage of alcohol is sold to underage drinkers, it's a, it's a you know that's a lot of money that would be lost if companies start stopped advertising and marketing to kids and that's why I think that self regulation ultimately is failing it's failed it's not going to work because the companies aren't going to it's not in their it's not in their best interest financially or the best interest of their stockholders to stop marketing to Can children. You imagine a stockholders meeting and this year we cut back on sales and promoted public health by 15%. I don't think that's going to happen. Oh, well, but they're, they're, you know, consumers also buy stock and there have been opportunities to, to change practices in business. And you're right, business, you know, I don't think corporations, I mean, actually corporations are legally supposed to act in the, to the best interest of their shareholders. So we're all part of the problem here. Uh, because we expect these companies to do well, otherwise you pull our money out and put it in someone else. And the other company may be doing just the kind of advertising we're talking about. So the enemy is us. Right. But that leads to a really important question I was going to hope come up is that adults are hit maybe in a different way, but just as hard as kids are. So it's like, you know, I have to say this. I don't remember ever turning on the television and or even radio because I'm in the business and, and for no particular reason thinking, oh, I need to have that. Because somebody t- said I should be, you know, I'd be bigger, faster, stronger, or I would be a better person because of having a thing. So isn't really the the, the next step out of this really getting people conscious to the how we're manipulated in so many different ways, even if they are kids? I mean, you said the big breakoff was like in the 90s when this really started to get prevalent. So, to, to but there are people who are in their 50s and 60s that weren't a part of that generation, and they're being as pushed upon as much as kids are, I think. One of the things is that uh, marketing targets emotions. And and not cognition, and and I think that hmm. we're I think we're all susceptible to well, marketing, sure. and and so um, I think that that defending against it um, is certainly possible for adults, but it's not easy to do. And with children, it's that much harder. And children are not adults in teeny tiny bodies. I mean, until the age of eight, kids can't understand persuasive intent. They don't understand the fundamental basis of advertising, and that's why in 1978, the Federal Trade Commission actually recommended stopping television advertising to children under the age of eight. Didn't work, on the huh? basis, Well, not only did it not work, the, the, what Congress did, because there was so much corporate pressure on them, is to se- severely restrict the FTC's ability to regulate marketing to kids. And now it's easier to regulate marketing in adults in this country than it is to regulate marketing to children. I mean, that's crazy. So who do we call? 
if you're listening to this program, there are a lot of, lot of you out there. Who do you call to... Ghostbusters. Per- Ghostbusters? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Well, you know... The, um, you just call your congressman and say, I heard this show and I'm really pissed off about it? Uh, about the show or about marketing? <laughs> yeah. 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 Susan, yeah. Susan, 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 for what purchases will and will not be made. Yeah, talk to them about about what what the trip's going to be and what you're going to buy, and that way you're not going to be blindsided. And you can say, remember, we already talked about that, and that might help, like the tantrums in the grocery store and things like that. Right, just, oh, I, I use earplugs for those tantrums, by the way. And, and <laughs> those are good. If you were ever to go to the grocery store, if you I actually would went use shopping. earplugs, right? Participate in national events like Turn Off TV Week and Buy Nothing Day. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, help your kids understand this as a, as a social political issue. As kids get older, they can, they can understand more that they're being manipulated. And give yourself a chance. If you don't want to do a whole week without TV, do one night a week where there's no electronic media at all and you do something together as a family. Uh, easiest way to, is to limit TV in their bedrooms. So at least no TVs in the bedrooms of the kids. Yes. And, you know, and really, do you need five televisions, which is what I think in the average of what families have these days, four or five televisions. You don't yeah. really need all of those TVs. And, and really keep, keep electronic media out of your child's bedroom. Even with preschoolers, I mean, a preschooler's risk of obesity goes up for every hour that they watch television, but it goes up even more if there's a TV in their bedroom. And now 19% of babies under the age of one have a television in their bedroom. 19%? Wow. Of babies oh. under the age of one. I mean, there's no reason for that. That's a parent thing, right? Electronic yes. babysitter deal? Ex- no, yeah. well, actually, the, the primary reason that parents give, there was just research on this, the primary reason that parents give for um, for putting TV in babies' bedrooms is because they believe the marketing that it's educational. And we have a Federal Trade Commission complaint filed against three baby media companies for their false and deceptive marketing. Yeah. Is that, <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, it's not educational for babies. Um, and then the last thing is schools. One minute left. So one thing that you can do is take a look at the advertising and marketing in your children's school. Um, and schools are strapped for cash. They're turning to corporations for for money or advertising exchange for money, but research out of Arizona State University just showed that it's not a good deal for schools. They're not making that much money on that. What's you have to look at whether you really need it in your school. I don't think you do. What's Channel One? And Channel One is um, it's commercially sponsored news program um, that's in schools. It's in 12,000 schools all over the country, and it's um, 10 minutes of news, two minutes of commercials, a lot of you know promotion. I mean, the idea of a corporation choosing what current events kids are going to learn each day is concerning enough. But now what research shows is that what the kids remember, they remember the commercials a lot better than the news. Why do they even have television in schools like that? I didn't realize they were doing that. Money. That t- Channel One has been around for a long, long time. time and yeah. It was actually just sold. Actually, uh, there's been a lot of activism around Channel One, and they're not doing very well, and they were just sold for not very much money to a, a marketing firm. Susan Lynn, thank you very much. A whirlwind tour through a very complicated topic. You did a beautiful job. dream 
of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.